listeners, this is Thunderdome! No, I'm kidding. Ooh. <laughs> that was my Ooh. Tina Turner. <laughs> This Sorry, is what morning, I'm feeling uh, Sunday morning recordings are like, folks. Yeah, I'm a little. I'm feeling a little goofy. I, I just woke up, basically. Uh, not enough coffee, but you have Watch Skip Plus, and uh, you can now turn the volume back up. Actually, <laughs> uh, we are a movie review podcast with a lifestyle twist, and that twist being that. Before we review a new movie that could be streaming or theatrical, each of the guests will have what's called a plus, and that is our thing, which is what we I first described it as, actually. It's in our press notes. Um, our thing that stuck with us for the week, um, but that plus can be a bonus review. It can be another movie, a lifestyle review. It could be a cultured theater showing <laughs> performance um, as Red is often uh, wants to do. I am Cupcake Jose, also known as Machine Gun Jelly, and uh, joined by my co-host the lovely Justin, also known as the Cinemasochist and Justin the Red. Red, how are you? I'm doing well, but my thing has been with me for 32 years. Uh, I think that's maybe why we get away from just calling it our thing. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing very well. Just like you, uh, it's Sunday morning, so I'm in that. I'm still waking up, so I was singing Jungle Love prior to recording for whatever reason. Yes, so. absolutely. It's- Although I think, uh, wasn't that featured in Pulp Fiction, that song? I believe so. I think if so. It I th- wasn't in Pulp Fiction. I feel like Quentin Tarantino has used it at least once. He's in definitely used and it. And Pulp Fiction I- seems like it would make the most sense to pop up in. Maybe maybe Jackie Brown, actually. Could have popped up in Jackie Brown. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. Yeah. All right. So, movie-wise, we are reviewing the delayed Gran Turismo, which is how I love to say it, um, based on the PlayStation video game developed by Polyphony Digital. And that's how I'm going to say it, not Polyphony (laughs) Digital. (laughs) And um, and we're going to refer to it as a game, not a simulator to all you nerds out there. Yeah, that's right. Although I will, I will tip my hat to the S word. This is directed by Neil Blomkamp, who has a lot of geek cred given his previous films but before that we do have some pluses so red what is your plus for this week all right well i technically have three but the first two are combined and they're going to be quick the wrestling world lost two very big names this week within a day of each other the first was the legendary terry funk one of the greatest of all time legend in the territory days as part of the funk family such with dory funk jr for me uh, he had like a career renaissance in the 90s as like the this old hardcore crazy dude in like ECW and somewhat, I guess, to WCW and WWE as well. If you aren't a wrestling fan, you would have seen him in films such as Paradise Alley and Roadhouse. And even if you're not a wrestling fan, I hope you would see Beyond the Mat. And if you did, the best way to describe him is remember the crazy bastard that asked, hey, you know, am I going to be in a lot of pain? And the doctor looked at him and goes, Terry, you should be in a lot of pain now. That was my <laughs> proof right then that, OK, Terry Funk is one of the toughest sons of bitches out there. A uh, huge loss, very charismatic as well. Uh, he had great feuds with like Jerry Lawler, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair. Um, some great empty arena matches. 
definitely look him up. And then the day after that, we lost somebody who was in the prime of their career and very young, that being Bray Wyatt. He was only 36. Uh, I think the reports were that it was uh, he had heart issues that stemmed or were made worse and exacerbated because of co- contracting COVID earlier this year. And unfortunately, oh, mm. just as it looked like he was you know, recovering, he did not. Uh, what's really sad, too, is that Brody Lee, who was Luke Harper in WWE, they came up on the main roster together as part of the Wyatt family, or I guess technically Bray Wyatt's second time on the main roster. And Brody Lee uh, passed away a couple of years ago. Also, I think he was only 41. And I can't quite remember right now, but I think it was something similar, which is like a medical condition that he thought he was about to beat. And then it just kind of didn't. So it's very tragic. Um, mm. especially having to see the tribute and their other partner, Eric Rowan, who has now had to go to two of these tribute shows to somebody you do not expect. Cause at least with the Terry Funk, it's sad, but when somebody's up there, even though 79, I could still argue you would rather want a Bob Barker get to 99, you know, but regardless, this one did just shock the whole world. I mean, I've seen even friends of our group, such as, uh, the Sammy or I, you know, likes wrestling, but you know, doesn't usually talk about it too much, especially modern day. He put up a nice little tribute, uh, very shocking. Bray Wyatt, if you've ever heard somebody like The Undertaker, he was very similar. He loved gimmicks. And his, his most notable one was Bray Wyatt. And originally he was like this swamp cult leader, which was probably my favorite iteration. And then recently yeah. he's had a version called The Fiend, where it's like there's this other part of him that is a complete monster. So he has he used to do the Firefly Funhouse, which was his version of being like Mr. Rogers, but slightly demented. And then oh. when he would wrestle, he would have this like terrifying mask on uh, that I believe maybe Tom Savini, hel- Savini helped work on. I know Savini helped with some other masks like Kalisto's. Um, and he was just, I mean, Sammy said it best. Wrestling, the in-ring quality, even to me, does matter. But at the end of the day, wrestling is all about charisma and personality and Wyatt had that in spades. He could talk anybody into a room, even if a match ended up being underwhelming. Like anybody that online that would be a smart was like, well, he's just not good in the ring, which is BS. He's had a lot of great matches. They would just as soon be hooked onto his next storyline because he just had a way of conveying these stories in such a unique way. So it was a big shock. So I'd be remiss if I didn't at least give a shout out to these two uh, big fans of both. Very sad. Um, then on a much lighter note to soften the mood, to get back into the anniversary festivities that we had last week, Jose, my lovely co-host, decided to gift me two gifts from A24, and they arrived a couple of days ago. The first was a Rubik's Cube, everything everywhere, all at once styled, which I have opened and I kind of have a display, but I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, I do want to actually play with it as a Rubik's Cube because I used to love messing with those, and that's how you're supposed to do it. But there's also a part of me that's like, I kind of just like the way it looks without messing it up, but yeah. I'm sure I will eventually. And then the other one is a coffee mug for the lighthouse. So it has the name, the lighthouse and then the release date on the back of it. It's one of my favorite a 24 films. Unfortunately, even though a 24 did a tremendous job, maybe did too good of a job of wrapping this in bubble wrap. Maybe it was too tight. Uh, the mail carrier and I will let, leave their name out just so we don't have any issues there, <laughs> but they did not deliver it well, even though it was a fragile thing. And it thankfully, one, I can hot glue it back together, but two, even if I couldn't, the only thing that was actually damaged was the handle, which I know sucks, but I can still use it even if we weren't able to hot glue it back together. But still, very, very sweet gifts. Um, 
Thank you so much, Jose. I know I sent you something, but we can't talk about that on air. Yes. (laughs) Um, And keep your minds out of the gutter, y'all. Yes, I should have definitely specified that. We're not talking about that, okay? No, we're not not talking about Jungle Love, okay? Uh, Yes. (laughs) So thank you again very much for those. No problem. Happy anniversary. And by the way, um, your replacement mug, because... Apparently, these mugs sell out. Uh, what A24, if, if if the listeners aren't aware, what A24 does is, apparently what happens is, is the, the A24 movie comes out, and these mugs come out, and they're only like limited run. So when they're gone, they're gone. Um, and when I wrote Light, uh, when I wrote A24 and said, hey, the Lighthouse thing, you know, you guys packaged it up, but apparently, you know, the post office decided they wanted to try to actually break it. Um, uh, they told me that, unfortunately, Unfortunately, it was the last one, and so I have ordered a replacement for Justin, and that is going to be the lobster. Yeah. Uh, and then I doubled his chances by buying two, so oh, if they both survive. If they both survive, you can um, you can maybe hand one off to me. Yes, yeah, Steph, I will definitely do that. Uh, and the other choices that you had, I mean, the lobster, which I loved. Uh, there's another one. I did not realize, though, that when you mentioned Life After Beth, I'm like, oh, that was an A24 release? Because that's one, again, this might be a new bingo card that I can say I've owned for years and haven't watched. I just ah. didn't realize that was A24. <laughs> but I think sometimes I forget some of the movies. Not that it still doesn't fit within their realm, but some of these I, I tend to forget because like A24 didn't really become like a thing in my mind. I'd argue maybe around Lobster, Hereditary and that. Uh, so there's some of these, I'm like, oh yeah, these probably were, and I just didn't really, you know, connect with it because it didn't become this like indie juggernaut as it is. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was also- a little surprised that, um, the film equals with Kristen Stewart and, oh, okay. uh, Nicholas Holt was also an A24. So I was a little, and Dark Places also, which is a Denver and Delilah production, which is Charlize Theron's um, Yes, and that company. was one of the other ones that you had yeah. mentioned as a replacement. Um, also, I should say when they sent it, uh, a way to promote their like latest film, which is Talk to Me, they just had like a little, almost like a business card, but it just had like a photo of from the movie. So I saw that first and then the way that the, the mug was wrapped, it was very heavily wrapped in bubble wrap, so I didn't know what was in it. So my first thought was like, is this the hand from Talk to Me? Because no. <laughs> I'm not superstitious, but I don't know if I'm messing with this variation of a monkey's paw and i was like okay no that's just their way of promoting it also yes uh i was going to text you about the the loss of mr funk and mr wyatt um but i figured you already knew and especially yeah. when i saw sammy's post um but yeah you know two beautiful men i thought they were beautiful mm-hmm. and very very charismatic and memorable um especially mr funk um, back when I was, you know, growing up and still watching WWE. So that's a that's a sad loss. And I feel like wrestling's been hit really hard. Uh, going through some yeah. of our one year anniversary stats, you've you yeah, plus the passing of like two of those two of those yeah. athletes, and there were more that we didn't even mention. Though so I will so. say, and it, it's still sad, I guess, but this used to be much more commonplace in wrestling. Thankfully, it's a much arguably cleaner area, like Bray Wyatt and. Brody Lee, they were both just, you know, medical conditions, but it used wrestlers used to die young, 40s, 50s, all the time because of like steroid use or drug use specifically, you know, because that yep. type of, you know, field, like you get addicted to painkillers and anything to keep you going. Uh, so thankfully, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still, 
it still hits out. And I forget his name and I feel terrible, but I know wedged in between those two, there was a, a legendary referee uh, from the territory days that also passed. So unfortunately mm. his deaths do come in threes. And also Bob Barker, who did pass, did host an episode of Raw when they were trying to be like SNL and have guest hosts. And he was one of the few that was actually entertaining because his bit with doing the prices right but with WWE wrestlers, he and Chris Jericho were just hysterical together. So rest in peace to Bob Barker as well. But he made it to 99, which is pretty impressive. Absolutely. You know, I made a comment in our Messenger GGTMC thread that, you know, growing up, I watched The Prizes Right religiously, and I wanted to be one of the, like, showcase women when I grew up. Um, and then that would be if, you know, that was my backup if the Townsend Agency wouldn't hire me as an angel. But Bob Barker, yeah, <laughs> rest in peace, absolutely. And then somebody posted that comment that somebody had made about mm-hmm. how he... How, he had, you know, bid basically during his life and didn't go over a dollar. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, wow. I think he would have probably laughed. At that. I think actually, he would have loved that. In the I mean, long the, like that's how could you get so like close? It's almost serendipitous. Um, I know. To get that. It's, yeah. The higher powers maybe do kind of have a sense of humor. But you're right. Bob Barker would have laughed at that because wasn't didn't he wasn't he in Happy Madison? Oh, didn't yeah. He Happy a, Gilmore. Um, or, or Happy, did I say Madison? No, that's the well, production th- company. Happy yeah, that's Gilmore. the production company because it's yeah, Billy yeah. Madison, Happy Gilmore to combine. But yes, yeah. he is. He has the legendary fight with Adam Sandler. And <laughs> yes. Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison were two films that were on constant rotation for me as a kid. Exactly. Okay, so for my plus, um, I just want to quickly promote uh, something that actually, it, it, it's been in my life for quite some time. So the product is called the Castle Flex, and you can go to castle like c-a-s-t-l-e like the castle or the television show and then flex f-l-e-x-x dot com this is actually a mobility and strength device uh it's going to be tough to explain so you must definitely listeners go to this website and check it out but basically dan castle is a gentleman who uh i sort of struck up a relationship with on facebook um, we were texting at some point, but I think he's been really, really busy of late. But he used to be uh, Martha Stewart's, uh, I believe, like maybe creative manager or director or something like that. But he created the castle grade masks for COVID. And these were these, uh, I mean, they were tough as nails silicone masks that had filters. They were I mean, nothing was getting through these things. They look like Bane masks, but nonetheless, that was his one, that was his first invention. And then his second was the Castle Flex. So basically, this product helps to, helps you to stretch. If you have ever been to a physical therapy session, what happens is, is they will put your foot in, um, I believe it's called dorsiflexion. It's been a while since I've used these kinesiology terms, but, um, Basically, instead of pointing your toes, you're going in the opposite direction, and then they will stretch your leg, because that is how you really get up into the glute muscles and the hamstring muscles when you stretch your leg. So in the exercise industry, there are a ton of straps and ropes and horrible contraptions that you can use to stretch, but they're all a little weird because they make your arms fatigue, all of that. Well, the Castle Flex solves this because there's a little hammock that you put your uh, foot into, And then there is a weighted handle, Uh, it's beautifully made, and you basically pull pull down on that handle and it helps to stretch. And there are different flows that you can do, like yoga stretches. I actually did a, uh, a YouTube 
interview with Dan. I, I need to try to dig it up somewhere because it was intended for a YouTube channel that I never started. Um, but he walked me through using it and I literally broke out into a sweat just stretching with this device. Um, but the reason why I'm also plussing it today is because I have in the past gifted it to people who um, have told me, you know, my back is awful and I, you know, I need stretching and this and that, and I've gifted it to them and this has really, really helped them. It is a game changer. It's wonderful. They came out with a new sports version, which does not have the two pound weight inside the handle. It actually just has a silicone handle, but it is designed to basically help with arm strength as well and assisting with stretching. It's very, very lightweight. You can you know, put it into your gym bag, stretch at the gym, stretch at home, stretch whenever you want to. Uh, it's only available to uh, Castleflex members, so people who have bought Castleflexes before. I have not, it's not for actual sale yet, uh, but it should be coming out soon. And I gifted our good friend Brian. Uh, with the new sports version. So shout out to Brian, the Luck Key Comics Brian, also known as Flickboxer. And uh, hopefully hopefully it helps you, Brian. I, I was wondering why the name did sound familiar, and I think you might have mentioned it to me, but once you started describing and I looked it up, I'm like, okay, I've heard this in passing because I did work at a, a nursing home and I worked in the physical therapy department. I was more in the business end, but I helped a lot with some of the therapy and we would have things that were similar. So I remember it being brought up as something that the hospital was looking into maybe investing in. Um, they do have a YouTube channel that has a, pl a playlist of instructional videos as well as flows. And when we say flows, just wonderful, like five minute, 10 minute stretching routines. And there is also a Castle Flex app, which has uh, I believe sports directed or activity directed stretches as well. You can even use it on your arms and stuff. Stretch it. It's 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 amazing. I love it. Um, anyway, I will segue to our actual <laughs> movie review, and we have 2023's Gran Turismo, directed by Neil Blomkamp. And I will start with some of the below the line people. This is based on the. PlayStation game, Gran Turismo, which is developed by Polyphony Digital, developed by a gentleman named Kazunori Yamauchi, who, by the way, is also an executive producer on this film. But he had started developing a racing game simulator in 1992. Kaz, as he is called, is the CEO of Polyphony and previously designed the MotorTune Grand Prix games until hitting upon this idea. The idea being that this would be almost like a real-life simulator. Uh, our director is Neil Blomkamp. I'm going to spend a little bit on him just because he has really sort of punctured like geek culture and nerd culture and sci-fi um, hailing from Johannesburg in South Africa and born in the height of apartheid his father and his stepdad so his parents divorced when he was young they actually fostered his love of all things mechanical and specifically no surprise cars and guns and also his like love of sci-fi so inspired by the work of Sid Mead, Sid Mead is the conceptual design artist for two of Blomkamp's favorite movies, Alien and Blade Runner, he would fuel that geeky side into teaching himself 3D computer graphics. Additionally, he was a jock in high school, and at the age of 15, he met 
somebody six years his senior, a gentleman named Charlton Copley, who had a production company at the time, and the two struck up a friendship, they became best friends, and they formed a creative partnership. Eventually, after the lifting of apartheid, Blomkamp's family escaped the violence of South Africa in 97, and they moved to Canada. Fearing her son would move back to Joburg, his mother actually submitted his CG animation and effects to Vancouver Film School, where they immediately enrolled him. And so he took the task of learning special effects, and specifically CG animation and digital effects. He excelled as an FX artist, and eventually at 25 came to be represented by his favorite director, Ridley Scott's film and production company. His animation and digital effects credits include shows like Stargate SG-1, Dark Angel, and he had been gainfully employed at two effects houses, Embassy Visual Effects and Rainmaker Digital. Now, just with that background, after directing short films of his own and sneaker commercials, Peter Jackson, the Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, Dead Alive, all of that, handpicked him to mount a $125 million adaptation of the video game Halo. Now, this production was going to be a three-way, not a good choice of words, um, partner, production partnership between Fox, Universal, and Microsoft. Now, unfortunately, based on financials, I think the corporations were like, what are our profits going to be? As well as creative friction, Blomkamp has been very candid about how he did not like the uh, sort of rub-ups that he had with the creative, uh, with the studio heads at Fox. The project imploded and died after six months of um, development. But... Peter Jackson's producing partner, Fran Walsh, said to Blomkamp, who had actually relocated to New Zealand to mount this production, she had suggested he turn his short story about outer space refugees, it's entitled Alive in Joburg, into a full-blown feature. And so with the resources of Jackson, Walsh, and as you know, Jackson is very uh, tied into WIDA production effects and then WIDA digital, that feature became the well-received and genre-breaking sci-fi film District 9 that netted him an Oscar nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. And of course, that film starred his buddy Charlotte Copley and shot them both into the stratosphere, with time hailing Blomkamp in 2009 as one of the 100 most influential people of that year. He followed up those films with Elysium, starring Matt Damon, Jodie Foster, and of course, Copley who is super gorgeous. Please listen to yeah, our Beast is. episode if you want to hear us drool about Charlotte um, And 2013's Chappie, which is another film based on one of his shorts. Now, what gets really interesting is what Blumkamp did between uh, Chappie and then this film. What also launched him into the pop culture zeitgeist was that in early 2015, Blomkamp started showing these alien concept designs on his Instagram, and the internet went wild. And eventually, there was, in fact, an announced potential alien film that Scott's production company, really Scott's production company, confirmed he was actually doing a picture. Now, eventually, that project got shelved because they the studios wanted to see the response of Alien Covenant, which is Ridley Scott's sequel to the alien DNA-linked Prometheus, But of course, wah, wah, Covenant didn't really do all that well. And so the plans for any planned Blomkamp alien were 
put on the shelves, unfortunately. And just so everybody knows, Scott Free Pictures, which is his production company, they eventually hooked up with Noah Hawley, and they are producing an alien show for FX and Hulu. The casting is actually underway. They've cast a number of people for that, but Blomkamp is not involved in that. Mm. 2017, Blomkamp started his own production company, and he resumed making short films, some of which were actually um, shown on, I believe, YouTube and then a uh, separate website that he had created. He was also to be behind a proposed RoboCop film called RoboCop Returns, which was to be a direct sequel to Verhoeven's original, ignoring all the other sequels. That project fell through. Believe it or not, he actually directed during COVID a film called Demonic, um, and that was released in 2021, starring Carly Pope. Um, I watched it. It is not entirely successful. It is, uh, (laughs) it is, uh, you can rent it on Vudu for like $3.99, and I I don't want to ruin the film, but we talk a lot on this podcast and not a bomb and ggtmc about filmmakers taking big swings demonic is a huge swing by blomkamp and again it's while it's not entirely successful and it's a little too long i'm just let me just describe it this way think silent hill meets the cell with the demonology theme of Constantine. And that is all mm. I will say about it. Okay. Um, it Somehow is, this one flew under my radar. It maybe. flew under everybody's radar. <laughs> maybe in for fact, a possibly we, good reason, but I might still give it a shot. <laughs> well, unfortunately, yes, there is a reason it flew under the radar, Red. But, but I have to say, I don't know. I'm a little obsessed by it, even though it ended and I was like, this is some shit. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I kind I had the same reaction. Like after Meg two, I was like Ben Wheatley, right? Sam Wheat from Ghost. Anyway, um, uh, I had the same reaction after watching this. I, I don't know. I might track it down on Blu-ray and 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 watch it again because again, it's a huge swing for the fences and it, it's a big miss, but. But it's interesting considering his, you know, his his career and his movie history. Uh, moving on to the writers, we have a screenplays by two people, Jason Hall and Zach Braylon. Hall is the writer-director of 2017's Thank You for Your Service, starring Miles Teller. It's a drama. It's actually not half bad. Check it out. Uh, Hall actually gave it a go as an actor from 96 to 2014, but like... Uh, I'm blanking on his name now, the gentleman who wrote and directed The Pale Blue Eye, as well as Out of the Furnace with Christian Bale. Uh, He turned to screenwriting, and so Hall's previous screenplays include 2009's Spread, which I think is the best title for a male gigolo story, if you're ever going to have one. Uh, Is that the one with Ashton Kutcher? Oh, yeah, it is. Ashton Kutcher and and Hesh. Yes, his... uh, his uh, anus wrapper is much on display in that film. Uh, 2013's Paranoia, which, which I believe stars Liam Hemsworth. And then 2014's Clint Eastwood directed American Sniper. So good cred on some of his uh, screenplays. And yes, I'm saying good cred as in Paranoia and Spread because they're actually not bad movies. They were, um, sadly, they were bombs. But uh, Mr. Braylon has previously written the screenplays for King Richard and Creed Three. And there is an additional story by credit for, by Jason Hall and Alex Say. Say is a little interesting. He is the writer of 2004's Spike Lee-directed TV film called 
Sucker Free City, which I love that title. That starred Ken Lung, Anthony Mackie, and Omari Hardwick. Uh, I don't think it quite went anywhere, but it certainly sounds very, very interesting. Say is best known for writing the screenplay for Zack Snyder's Watchmen and creating and writing the Hulu and Imagine Entertainment series Wu-Tang, An American Saga. Our notable producers are two gentlemen who you should watch out for, um, Asad Kizilbash and Carter Swan. Kizilbash is the president and Carter Swan is the senior producer of PlayStation Productions, which is an offshoot of Sony Interactive Entertainment. They launched in 2019, and this company basically develops video game properties and coordinates with PlayStation, uh, producing television and film productions. Their first film production was 2022's Uncharted, based on the video game series created by Naughty Dog. First television production was also a Naughty Dog property, The Last of Us, which punctured the pop culture zeitgeist after airing on HBO earlier this year. Don't miss the beginning of this film because it features the PlayStation banner logo sequence for the company, and it's actually kind of awesome. I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, Upcoming adaptations include Sucker Punch Productions' Ghosts of Tsushima, Ben Studios' Days Gone, and Japan Studios' Gravity Rush. They have also been behind the Twisted Metal series, which has recently been released on Peacock. And in the works for television are Santa Monica Studios' God of War for Prime and Guerrilla Games' Horizon for Netflix. One other shout-out producer, Doug Belgrade. The reason why he made my list for notable producers is because he produced two of my favorite films. Bingo! Elizabeth Banks' Charlie's Angels and 2023's The Pope's Exorcist, which... I don't know, people pooped on, but it was so much fun. It's now streaming on Netflix if y'all want to catch it. The music is by Lauren Bath. You can listen to our previous episode, Black Adam, to hear more about his career. Bam! Knock that out. BTW, oh. he, he also scored Dungeons & Dragons and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. So we also mentioned Bath on those episodes as well. Additionally, Andrew Kochinski is also the co-composer on this. He's worked through the music departments on 51 films, often working with Bath himself. Uh, he has 18 official composer credits. These are mainly overseas films in each of the following countries. The UK, Russia, China, Korea, Japan, Australia, the man gets around scoring films. Our director of photography is Jacques Geoffrey. He's a French DP raised and born in Paris, France. He went to the exotic country of New York City for school and graduated from the NYU Tisch School of Arts. He's worked up through the film ranks on films like Swordfish, Sea Biscuit, three of the Transformers film films, and even won operate Cam Operator of the Year in 2008 for the Society of Camera Operators for the film Into the Wild. Geoffrey has lens the first three Purge films for James DeMonico, the failed adaptation of Valiant Comics Bloodshot, Bloomhouse's Truth or Dare. And strangely, he is the DP of three, count them, three Mark Wahlberg movies, Mile 22, Joe Bell, and Father Stu. I don't know what's going on between those two, but it seems to be a synthesis. Uh, also, he shot 2020's Songbird, which I actually kind of dig. If you guys haven't seen this, it's actually not bad. It's a tight sort of pandemic thriller, and it was actually shot during the early days of the pandemic. Our production designer 
Last person is Martin Whist. He is an art director for visually stunning films like Phone Booth. Yes, a film that <laughs> takes place in a phone booth can be visually stunning, folks. Uh, Very down- visually stunning. Yeah, Down With Love with Renee Zellweger, A Series of Unfortunate Events, and Michael Bay's The Island. He has 19 official PD credits. Listen to this. He started with Tenacious D and The Pick of Destiny. Yes! And Smoking Aces. And then he would go on to J.J. Abram films like Cloverfield and Super 8. He has done two films for Drew Goddard, Cabin in the Woods and Bad Times at the El Royale. He also was the production designer for the RoboCop remake directed by Jose Padilla, Shane Black's The Predator, and most recently Netflix's The Harder They Fall and Paramount's Secret Headquarters. So the man has an eye for production design. He's pretty brilliant. Quite a few of those, but obviously Tenacious D because I just got excited and Cloverfield are ones that I absolutely love and Super 8. Uh, so that's that's quite the pedigree. And I, and I will in say- the Woods too. Yeah, yeah. Cabin in the Woods, which I really enjoy. And honestly, that RoboCop remake, it's pretty, it's kind of flat, but I blame that more on studio interference because it has some elements of it that I thought could have worked. But, oh, I know, loved it. No surprise. I loved it, but- uh, over to Red with the cast. Yes. So this is based on a true story, as I think they're trying to make that part of the title, but we're not doing that. Uh, <laughs> so all of the people here you're going to hear about are playing real life human beings, starting with Archie Medeque as Jan Mardenborough. So he is the winner of the Gran Turismo tournament that became the race car driver that the story is based upon. You will recognize him from appearing in two Ari Aster films, Midsommar and Bo is Afraid. He was recently in the Netflix film Hard of Stone. He was in Teen Spirit, which, amusingly enough, I just bought on Blue, not knowing he was in it. Voyagers, and then he has the series C under his belt, and the miniseries of Les Miserables, which I feel like I keep mentioning recently, as a lot of the young cast members have been appearing in this. I also do want to note that the actual Jan Martinborough, who is an official race car and pre-driver does his own stunts in this movie, so it's, it's yes. got to be one of the few times that somebody is doing the stunts for the actor portraying them. So that's very interesting. Portraying Jack Salter, who is his trainer in former race car driver, is David Harbour, who we have heaped so much love on in this show. We consider him a hunk. Uh, He Mm -hmm. was in Violent Night, which we covered way back in December, most known, obviously, for his work on Stranger Things. But he has quite the pedigree in film, appearing in Kinsey, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, Brokeback Mountain, Awake, Quantum of Solace, which is my least favorite of the Daniel Craig Bond films, but there you go. State of Play, The Green Hornet, End of Watch, which I absolutely love, Snitch, so he has that connection with wrestling with The Rock, Parkland, The Equalizer, A Walk Among the Tombstones, which is an underrated Liam Neeson thriller, Black Mass, Sleepless, the maligned, but I kind of like it, uh, version of Hellboy that came out recently from uh, Neil Marshall. I know that's right. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> that very similar to RoboCop, maybe has too much. Well, in this case, too much going on. But I, I actually like quite a lot of its visuals. Uh, the Netflix hit Extraction, No Sudden Move, the Disney. Well, I doesn't say Disney Plus, but this is actually did go to theaters. The MCU Disney Plus combo release of Black Widow and ha- appeared on the Newsroom series. Portraying Danny Moore, who is the marketing exec that came up with the Gran Turismo tournament, is Orlando Bloom, the very dreamy Orlando Bloom. Broke onto the scene in the early 2000s with two huge movie series, Pirates of the Caribbean and Lord of the Rings. So bringing it back to Peter Jackson here. Uh, He also appeared in 
Black Hawk Down, an adaptation of Dead Kelly, Troy, Kingdom of Heaven, Elizabeth Town, The Good Doctor, The Three Musketeers, which I know Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of, but I still haven't seen, New York, I Love You, Sympathy for Delicious, Retaliation, The Outpost, and the Carnival Row series. We should note that um, with, with regards to Orlando Bloom, we also have Sympathy for Delicious for him. Yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> yep, I, well, yes, we definitely think he is a Sympathy for Delicious. <laughs> Portraying uh, the aforementioned creator of Gran Turismo, uh, Kazunori Yamauchi, is Takahiro Hira. Uh, he is known for films such as Harakiri, Goodbye Someday, Ace Attorney, Lesson of the Evil, Bushido, The Eternal Zero, Fujita, Killing for the Co- Prosecution, known stateside for appearing in the pretty decent Snake Eyes, which is a film adaptation of a G.I. Joe character, and he also appeared in the series Twins, which I don't think has any relation to the Arnold Schwarzenegger Danny DeVito comedy. Damn. Unfortunately, I know. That was my reaction. (laughs) Portraying the father of Jan Martinborough, Steve Martinborough, is I was even practicing it this morning. Uh, Jaiman Hansu. Jaiman Hansu. I was even practicing this morning. Hansu. Jaiman Hansu. You can listen to our Shazam 2 episode to hear me struggle once again with his pronunciation, even though I practiced. And you can also listen to his roll call in that. Uh, portraying the mother, Leslie Martinborough, is Jerry Horner, or best known as Ginger Spice. Yes. Uh, tell me what you want, yeah. what you really, 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 really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I don't believe in guilty pleasures, but I do admit if I have to give one to people, it would be Spice World because that movie is so much fun. It uh, is. She was obviously played Ginger Spice in Spice World. She has, after Spice girls kind of did their own thing appearing in certain films such as fat slags crag 2 <laughs> but more notably appearing in series episodes for shows such as rainbow woman absolutely fabulous and sex in the city she Portray- looks fantastic in oh, this yeah. by the way i i was like ginger spy i honestly did the not even realize until i was doing uh the cast roll call that it was actually ginger spice and i mean that in a positive way she looks great but so good yeah. on her i think uh, she could have a career with this Portraying his brother, Kobe Martinborough, is Daniel Pugue, brand new actor coming up on the scene. He appeared in the film The System and appeared on the series Naomi. Uh, He had some decent screen presence when he was on the screen here. Playing the love interest, Audrey, is Maeve Cotier-Lily. She's first real full film. She's on a couple of shorts as well as appearing in series such as The Outpost, Casualty, and Doctors. I believe... It is just Joshua Stradowski, or is it Josha? I believe it's just Joshua. I think it's uh, Joshua, yeah. Joshua Stradowski, uh, he plays Nicholas Kappa, who is basically the arch enemy, so to speak, of Archie Medeque's character, John Murdenborough. I didn't try that. Another up-and-coming actor appeared in films such as Men from Mars and Instinct, more known for his television work such as Spangas, High Flyers, and The Wheel of Time. Portraying Patrice Kappa is Thomas Kretschmann. You can listen to our indie Anna Jones and the Dial of Destiny episode for his rundown. And then I didn't even Love bother him. to look up the actor, but I wrote not Ben Wishaw as a fellow GT tournament competitor because I uh. was convinced coming out of this movie that was Ben Wishaw. And I kept looking it up. I'm like, nope, it was not him. So I didn't even figure out or care to figure out who it actually was, but it's not Ben Wishaw. Wait, so. did you think which one? Did you think it was Anto- the one with the mustache? Cruz or. I don't know. It's the one that he looked like Ben Wishaw with a mustache. 100%. Oh, was he the Ecuadorian one? W- yes, was that Cruz? Yes. It's, yeah, Pepe Barroso. 
Yes. Yeah. So, but he, well, he, did, yeah, he looked like a, a Spanish Ben Ben Wishaw. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. If you want to make that into a movie, if you want to be his stunt double, there you go. Because I thought it was sin this whole time. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, and that will wrap up our cast and crew. And since you introduced Jose, I will start on our spoiler-free thoughts. Go for uh, it. Even before I knew Neil Blomkamp was responsible for this, I actually was curious to see this. Um, I have no relation to the Gran Turismo, the video game slash simulation series. I know of it. I might own a copy or two because you can find some of the older ones for pretty cheap. But I, outside of kart racers like Mario Kart, I've never been big into racing games. I'd play them occasionally as a kid with friends or if I got them real cheap. But it's just not my thing. What drew me to this was I was like, okay, so this is based on a true story. And this is before they bludgeoned us to death with that recently in the marketing. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because we're so used to just regular video game adaptations. When I heard they were making a Gran Turismo movie, I'm like, okay, it'll probably be something like Need for Speed or maybe something like Days of Thunder. And I guess it's more like Days, but I had no idea that they did an actual competition where they took some of the best racers and they decided to put them in actual race cars and the winner got to gets qualified to be eligible to become an actual race car driver, which does sound crazy. It is crazy. And I think it would make for an interesting movie, but as much as this avoids, I guess you could say the tropes of video game adaptations, it falls into underdog story trapping so frequently that even though it's not, I mean, I'm going to steal your phrase. It's not entirely successful. It's not a bad film by any means. And the core of it, which is a relationship between Jan and uh, Jack Salter, portrayed by yep. David Harbour, they actually have a really great connection. And I think that being the heart of the film helped this a bit. But this is such a streamlined movie. And if I didn't know going into it already that Neil Blomkamp was directing this because he was also getting touted in a lot of the, the promos, I wouldn't have had as much of a visceral reaction like I did with Ben Wheatley. But I would have been like, oh, OK, so this is a Blomkamp because it's not directed bad at all. It, there's a, a, a fluid pacing and direction to this. But. I would argue it's more streamlined. So it feels like it's hitting a lot of beats where it's like, okay, so the kid gets recruited and he has, you know, he has somewhat of a troubled home life. I mean, he has caring parents, but obviously uh, now that I'm older, I'm with the parents on this. I'm like, yeah, okay. You're in your twenties. You should definitely be looking to, you know, find your way, especially when like they're caring parents and they're like, look, we don't think that you're going to become a race car driver, but you can go into the automotive field. Like I forget exactly what he wanted to do, but I'm like that you would probably still be in the pit working on cars. Like you could still do your passion, but motorsports engineering. Thank you. Motorsports engineering. I knew it was like something that's a great trade to get into as well. So, but of course, you know, that's not where his passion lies. He, he doesn't like learning about it. He wants to just be in the cars uh, he ends up happening upon this tournament because well, I guess where he went to this uh, internet cafe, so to speak, <laughs> one of the people running is like, wait a minute, you're, you're, they called on you because apparently <laughs> the only way they reached out to these people was just to send a little note into their video game. Um, he wins this. He has the struggles with an actual race car driver who actually has a, a heart of gold underneath that hard exterior. Then they go in. This is not a spoiler. It's in the trailers. He actually becomes a race car driver, goes into the pre. Of course, everyone doesn't like him, so he has to overcome these odds. The way it is handled is just, even though there's some really good performances in this, it's just all too familiar. And I know it's based on a real story. I actually caught one of the... They had sneak preview screenings because, as Jose said, this got delayed in a really weird fashion. I don't know if it was because of the strikes, which, I mean, didn't help them any. 
I think maybe it was just more of they wanted the IMAX screens, but Oppenheimer was doing so well that they decided if we just push to the end of August, we know Blue Beetle's only going to probably get it for a week. You could tell that they wanted this originally released the week prior to Blue Beetle. This was originally going to be covered until Last Voyage to the Demeter had taken its place. Uh, you had messaged me because you were like, is this correct? Because your Regal was showing like two show times. So ever since that, because these Regals probably had the screenings, they're like, we'll do two show times over the weekend, like maybe on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't think mine was originally doing it. But when I went and saw Strays, which I thought was hilarious, um, when I came out, I realized, oh, starting right now is another one of these sneak previews. I might as well just watch it now. And it was moderate honestly moderately would be being gentle to say how many people showed up but it was 7 p.m on a sunday i guess so it's been a really bizarre turnout and the reason i bring this up was these preview screenings have had like making other guest featurettes after the screening and i decided to bounce for two reasons one i didn't want to spoil like the actual making of this film prior to recording because we have said it before sometimes we want to go in as blind as possible to our review and then do our normal well let's actually do research on the film and watch special features we try to save that for after the movie so it doesn't taint our opinion of it but i can tell you right now i'm already certain that some of it and i guess i'll save it for spoilers but there's aspects of this near the end and over the end credits that i did see that kind of show that maybe some of his upbringing or some of the ways that he got here didn't happen like it did in the film and i'm fine with doing that but it's just if the reasoning was some of these typical underdog story of having overcome obstacles i think that hurt this film because every time i felt really getting comfortable with this movie specifically with the performances there's some great moments between salter and jan that i think are very emotional and did get to me there's just too many of like look i don't doubt that the pit crew and all these people didn't like this you know gamer kid becoming a racer but you're gonna tell me it was the most generic oh it's not like when you're in a video game you, <laughs> you crash out here you crash for real like, like there's no way it was this bland trophy of dialogue like that part of the scripting really fell through and i, I wonder if that was studio interference i'm not sure like i said i think the pacing is fine i think it's pretty fluid i think uh, Blomkamp had a good handling on it, but I also feel like maybe the focus should have just been on the competition and maybe him getting that first race because then having to do this undercooked rivalry with the, the Kappa driver and everything that also ties into how Salter comes into it. It just, it never, it's not entirely successful. It's never fully developed the way it should be. And while there are aspects of this, I'm glad they sidestepped some of the like Salter, obviously he, he, agrees because uh, he knows Orlando Bloom's character. He agrees to take on this Gran Turismo tournament that he didn't like because he was working as a actually a, a mechanic or a motorsports engineer for the Kappa drivers. But of course, these Kappa kids, they're a bunch of snobs. So he yeah. doesn't really like them. They at least avoid the that's his real driving force here. You never get that vibe. I like the fact that he originally just doing this as a job, but does generally take towards John. That's all sweet, but everything surrounding that is just too familiar and too honestly generic that it's not bad. But for me, it just, it missed the mark. Um, I will say before I swing it over to you, um, I did like the way that the racing was handled in this. Uh, the sound design is really good. I do want to ask you though, 
did it seem kind of quiet to you? I feel like the auditorium I went into, I don't think that there was anything specifically wrong with the audio itself. It just sounded like they turned it down a couple of notches. Maybe like instead of being at a 10, it was at an eight. So I don't know. Did it sound loud in your screening or did it sound not muted, but a little bit quieter than you're used to? No, they always crank the shit at my local, okay. um, at my well, local well, regal. I come out with my ears ringing. So well, no. so <laughs> bizarre was my screening of Strays was somehow louder than my screening of Gran Turismo. So I don't know. And oh I my God, that's, made, that's amazing. Made a spit take. <laughs> so I just don't know if maybe they had it turned down from a prior screening. But the other thing I will say is I like the way that they shot these. Now, in the beginning, it did feel a little egregious the way that when he's so with these racing simulators, you can buy a lot of accessories to make it really feel like you're driving a car. So similar to if you've gone to an arcade and you've seen the actual racing games, I'm sure Gran Turismo has has a couple where you can sit down in an actual seat and have an actual steering wheel. You can buy like not just like cheap ones. You can buy these great steering wheels so you can feel as if you're driving these cars. So obviously Jan is obsessed with these games and being a race car driver, so he buys these. So when we first see him playing the game, they do this very unique, but at that point in the movie, I thought it was too much of a buy our game because it's a, an immersive experience where it's like they do these zoom outs and these dolly shots uh, circling around him where then you see like a digital version of the actual car being built around him. And so it feels like he's in that. But the way they bring it back in the races, I actually liked. Uh, sometimes it's a little intrusive because you're kind of in the middle of getting all the great sound design. But when he is trying to like calm himself down and be like, well, think about when you actually drove this in the game, then he's able to recall like how like the lines would appear in the game and he knew how to like kind of circumvent them to maybe get ahead. I actually thought that was unique. It gave it enough of a difference here to stand out, but they also didn't bludgeon the movie with it. They didn't overdo it. It only came in at crucial moments. So I liked the way that the races themselves were handled as somebody who doesn't don't really care that much about racing. Um, it's not as great as say Ford versus Ferrari, which is another movie that honestly loved the racing in that movie. And I did like the performances by Bale and Damon, but I thought that script when it dealt with all the business aspects really did a number on that movie. I did not end up liking the movie because that felt again, too tropey. So way too much similarities between these two movies outside of racing, but I don't know. It just, it's a soft skip for me. I think there are elements in aspects of a really good movie hidden in here, but too much of it just felt like we need to hit the familiar beats and play it safe. And like I said, I didn't stick around for the, the after credits special features to see how much, if they even would have mentioned, Hey, we actually changed this and that. I'm not even opposed to that all the time fighting with my family, which was based on pro wrestler, uh, Soraya, AKA page, her time going into WWE. I was very familiar with her upbringing, so I could see where merchant and company altered it, but I thought that worked in that movie for it's slow here. It didn't make a unique flow. It just made too familiar of a flow. And that unfortunately derailed it a little bit for me. I was recently on uh, Not a Bomb talking about late cycle Dario Argento. We reviewed Dracula <laughs> oh, 3D. Boy. And Ooh. we sort of, you know, we sort of had discussed like, like we were trying to find a director who, you know, came out with these great films and then suddenly just, you know, the next film is Drek or whatever. Um, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have watched Demonic before I saw this. I don't know. Anyway, but it, you know, when I think of Neil Blomkamp, you know, I think of district nine and sci-fi and all this, the crazy visual visuals with like documentary style visuals. 
I think of like, um, you know, just crazy balls out ideas like, like district nine. Oh, our boss is watching you. He's back in his throne. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's, he's a big Neil Blomkamp fan. He hasn't seen Gran Turismo yet. So he wants to make sure you're not going to bad mouth him. He's like, we're talking, we're talking like, about <laughs> listeners. We're talking about our boss shadow. Um, he is in his throne. Uh, overseeing our recording of this of this episode, <laughs> yeah. he's he's a big Chappie fan. I'm not a big one, but I do like Chappie, so I think he's just like Jose. Better better rep Chappie. Better watch what you say. Um, I actually loved all of his movies, and you know, listen, I'm not opposed to Bloomcamp West Cravening all of us. And when I say that, what I mean is when West Craven came out with Music of the Heart. People were like, wait a minute, Meryl Streep doesn't go insane and kill people with her violin? This is just a straight drama? Like, they were like, what are you doing? I am not opposed to that. I am absolutely not opposed to that. Um, And so I have to tell you, I was approaching this film with kind of like, "Mm, I'm not really into racing. I don't think this is for me. I'm not into video games. I don't think this is for me. Um, But obviously, we had to review it for the show, so I went... This film has Blomkamp all over it in terms of its visual style and its and its narrative, and I love what he did with this. I I, I loved. There is a scene where, um, as they're sitting with the video game, and then it, you know the sort of uh, virtual reality car starts to be built around him as it's moving. There's this intri- interesting shot where, you know the Medequa character had taken his shoes off to start this competition. And what you're seeing is, is the transparency of him sitting, playing the game while, you know, there's ghost images of the car moving. And yet you can see that boot on the floor, not moving. And I just was like, wow, that is a great visual. It's fantastic. And the racing uh, scenes in this, I mean, talk about getting your, your heart pounding and, I don't know if they did it with drones or or computer-assisted like camera moves, but man, these racing scenes pop, and they they got my heart racing. Even though, like I said, like or like you said, I'm not a big racing fan, right? Like, there are two sports that I think I would I would rather get a colonoscopy than watch on television, and they are racing and golf. <laughs> like I just like I would oh, rather yes. have like large things placed into my. Okay, so, but what I'm saying is, is, <laughs> is, you know, even watching the beginning of this, and there's all these close-ups of, like, cars, and the gears, and the finish, and the shiny whatever, I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't made for me, I'm not, I'm not a big gearhead, I'm not a, a video game person, but I found myself getting into the, the core story of the film, which is, a video game person and, and a video game player, aficionado, and we know that a lot of people playing games are are put upon, right? Because it's like, oh, you're spending 15 hours on a, on a video game. What are you doing to challenge yourself, right? And it's like, well, it does take a lot of mental skill and physical coordination to play video games, right? And so I think that, that, that gaming culture in a way is looked down upon just because it it feels like you're not doing anything, right? And so when you said the parents are like, get off your duff and, and, you know, do get a job or do something, um, I also understood that too because I'm not into video games. Um, But as I was watching this, the beginning of it is such a slog, right? They get into this 
you need to get a job. There's a family dinner talk. And then something happens with the police. And then he's like, oh, maybe I can be a driver. And then he's taken to the job. And that whole time, I'm just like, why can't we start with the competition, right? Um, so again, we get this lead in where they're building up Medequa's character. And it just put me to sleep. I was like, I don't want to see this. And so for the first I think that's 20, 25 minutes of the film. I'm like, why am I watching this? I don't care. Let's get to the competition. And eventually the Bloom character shows up and he talks about this crazy marketing thing. And you and I talk about all the time how we think that the movie should have done this is low criticism of movies, okay? But I'm going to go low and I'm going to say that this film did not need to be two hours and 15 minutes, that it should have probably been a breezy 90 minutes started with that competition and then given us flashbacks about the kid's character because we know that he can do it. In, in fact, you were talking about the crucial scene where he flashes back to the beginning where he there's a trick that he's trying on the video game that he actually uses in real life. And they do that in such a wonderful way that it doesn't signal it's a flashback and yet it's a flashback, right? But there's just so much so much wasted drama drivel when they're not on the racetrack that that is what sinks this movie, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that Archie Medequa, unfortunately, is not that great of an actor. It's not that, unlike you, I didn't think there was any chemistry between Medequa and um, Harbour. I did not at oh. all. In fact, in fact, Harbour... As arousing it is as it is to watch Harbor yell and scream and get all berry for like two hours, right? I, I first of all, one, I don't subscribe to that kind of motivation because his motivation is essentially in a nutshell, you stink, you'll never do this. You're 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 awful. And then eventually he comes around and is like, Oh, we're similar beings and you should you should be a racer and not give up like I did, right? Which is totally pat, like you're saying, just absolutely streamlined, absolute after school special rocky shit right um but i just i didn't like their i didn't like their relationship i mean he basically was telling him you shouldn't be here and that's it that's it and medequa unfortunately uh, you know we've talked about blue beetle you know is he acting the role or is the role acting him and i think the role is acting him there there's just he's not i think the jury is still out on whether he's a strong actor and i think there's a reason he got third billing even though this is about his freaking character right so he's um Medequa's third billing behind orlando bloom and harbor it's like what when i saw those credits i was like uh oh we're in trouble yeah. also here's another trouble spot it starts out and it feels like a commercial. The first four minutes of this thing feel like a commercial. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what the fuck are we watching? And then later when Bloom gives his pitch, he basically reiterates the commercial that opens the movie. And I'm like, why Why did you just give us two you know, uh, prelude narratives and then repeat it? And so I think, again, that either they were padding or there were studio interference, interference or something. But the narrative on this is terrible. Anytime they're not racing, I just did not care about the film. I did not. I would even go, it's not entirely successful and it's it's not great, actually. Well, and it's a disappointment. <laughs> well, so uh, when you first started, I couldn't tell if you were actually getting into the watch camp because you, how much you were building up the racing. 
outside it's its only bonus. It's its yes, only bonus. Out, That's why I built it up. <laughs> outside of our disagreement on Harbor and Medekwe, um, I, I liked Medekwe well enough in this. I, I do agree with you. It, it's hard to maybe judge him, similar to like Blue Beetle, where it's this is more of a maybe that's kind of the problem. He's better with the more charisma, I guess, just like or sometimes having to be anti-charisma, being uncomfortable in front of a camera, uh, as whereas some of the, well, I don't know, we'll, we'll get to some of the harder dramatic beats. I thought he pulled some of them off decently enough. I know that's yeah. faint praise. I, I did like him and Harbor together. I'll, I'll get to that more in the spoiler section. But I think you and I are, are very much in agreement of the narrative. Uh, yes, everything with, you know, the family dynamic. And what's so bizarre with the family dynamic and Orlando Bloom's is I really felt like even Blomkamp didn't really want to have to do the tropey, you know, go get a job or like Bloom, you know, more caring about the marketing. Like he doesn't really want Jan on this because the other guy's more charismatic, but even Harbor comes in is like, well, the kid won. What do you want me to do? Like, you know, right. which is where I think you kind of take that different turn with a uh, Salter in this film they're almost downplayed and there's a part of me that's that goes well you know what i'm kind of glad it didn't follow the same path but then i'm like but you introduced that path so if you're going to introduce it and not really only half ass it where it's like every now and then kind of bloom is somewhat of an asshole but then he guess he redeems himself they never make the parents assholes which i like but even i thought jimen was wasted in this like this yeah. was very much just uh we know you can kind of play this hard nose but have a very soft center. So like he has moments that are okay, I guess, but like they don't, they feel almost too detached from this movie. Like it, you introduce these elements and you don't do much with them. And I agree with you. I don't think we needed to uh, start with 20 some minutes of this buildup because it's pretty bland stuff. Anyway, it's just like, there's nothing really bad with his life. He's just, he he's a young kid who wants to do something, but his parents are right full of like, and his parents aren't even saying, hey, you should pay rent or anything. They're just like, we want something from you for life. I mean, he guess his dad was an athlete. That barely gets produced. Um, yeah. I guess he was. Well, and then, the, and then the only payoff is the fucking sticker. Like, I'm doing it for you, dad. And yeah, like, which was oh. such a. Yeah. And, and I'll get in the spoiler section as to why I think a lot of that was just manufactured, even without seeing the the after scenes uh, special features that were attached to well, my screening. Also, um, just. Uh, hold that thought, but also just as an interesting side note, I think in the UK, their education system is a little different than ours here. Mm -hmm. I think there is some sort of, at some point prior to high school, I think, or maybe even before they graduate, people are, um, for lack of a better term, siphoned off into like, are you going to do more of a academic or a business type career or are you a trade person? Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, I think that's where some of this drama was supposed to come from because they don't know if he's going to be a trade or if he's going to go to university and, and learn this stuff. And so when his father shows him the menial construction job, there's more of an impact to that because that's, that's literally how every student yeah. I believe is siphoned, siphoned off in the education system in the UK. Um, but they didn't even yeah, telegraph that, that to, to domestic um, you know, U.S. audiences, you know? It just yeah, and comes I can, off like an after-school special. Yeah, and I can't, definitely. And I can say that certain districts, like I think my school district when I was in high school, they started introducing like trades and like you could have went and split like some of your time obviously doing, you know, the expected education, but also going to like trade school lights, like 
uh, basically uh, areas that will get you used to that. And then you can go to trade schools. And it's funny because even though I'm a business student, I, I went to a trade school for my first two years uh, for the, which honestly, I think more business students should, because I think you get a better experience with the actual technical aspect of like using programs like Microsoft office and all that. And you, it worked out better for me to be in a trade school for the first two years. Um, but yeah, like you said, they don't really develop that at all. Uh, it, and I think it's just because I feel like, one, it didn't really exist as strongly in his real life outside of him just being a young kid, which I get. You, you want to do one thing. But now I'm becoming like the, I guess, parental figure. I'm like, well, yeah, but they're they're not like they're, they're trying to still promote and be like, hey, you can still do what you love, but just do it in this way. And maybe there should have just been an argument of like, OK, but if you take this motorsports engineering you could maybe start trying to learn how to drive on the side, but you can combine the two and still make it work. And also you can't race forever. Like I, the one thing that I said was almost kind of nice about this movie, but another thing they didn't develop as well as I'm somebody who's ignorant. And I, I don't think of like race car drivers as being athletes until I'm like, well, yeah, I guess if you're going to be in these really fast cars, you need to be prepared for it. Just like you have to be prepared to go into outer space or do anything like that. But even that's yep. just kind of like still handled in a pat fashion, with the uh, you know salt that was the aspect of Salter's character that like you said was almost more like a an early army type um but i still think there was a little bit of a core there and i'll get to that later but yeah it's just the, these aspects aren't developed enough and if you're going to introduce them you need to develop them and while there's that part of me that's like hey i'm kind of glad you sidestep some of the the tropes you one fell into other ones and two why introduce them then we could have like you said this could have been structured much better even though i think the pacing is fluid enough it is still too long at over two hours um we flashbacks would have sufficed with that and i know that they wanted to do the big race at the end and have this rival the kappa i think the better story would have been the gran turismo tournament and the first like few races he has to get his actual license because that's where the core of this film worked for me everything yes. else even though the racing in the last act is great everything in there felt too manufactured i'm like if you would have just focused on those two and this goes to, to my feelings with biopics in general because technically that's what this is is most biopics are better when you're focusing on certain aspects oppenheimer worked for the most part because you didn't have to do his entire life the aspects where they kind of had a like flashback to it didn't always work for me but when you focus on an event it's why i think selma is one of the better biopics because it's not about Martin Luther King's entire life, but you gleam his life through an important event in his life, uh, that being the march. And that, I think it just makes it so much easier. So you're not doing a lot of padding, especially when you're dealing, this one may be a little bit harder because he's not as known as somebody like an MLK or an Oppenheimer. But when you are dealing with people, like you don't have to either manufacture drama or hit on beats that we already know because we know the person. Here, you yeah. could have sidestepped that because most people like us didn't know this this driver. Maybe some, I think a lot of the people going probably did though. So I don't, it's just, I took to it a little bit more than you did. I think just because I did, I was, I didn't hate anything in this, but I will admit, yes, I was bored by some of the stuff in the beginning in that. But knowing that his Blomkamp does, I think, lessen it a little bit just because, like you said, we're used to more bombastic visuals and a very unique approach to drama. Like District 9 has some great dramatic beats, but it's done in such a unique fashion with the documentary aspect and then having you know some of the sci-fi elements. And I know not everyone cared for Chappie, but 
yeah, some of it's way too obnoxious, but I kind of I like Chappie. I love Chappie. Better. I mean, I, basically, I also, short circuit all over again. Yeah, short circuit, it. but in this really weird way. And I, I liked how he went with the uh, Diane Twan. I forget the band's name, but like, it, I kind of like how he used them in, in this weird like protagonist roles. And I will say this: maybe this says something about my. Uh, history in relationships but i think it was the sexiest Hugh jackman's ever been even yeah, though he plays man. an asshole in that when he's got the goatee and the short oh my god like, yes. uh, okay we, uh, i don't want to digress here south african style baby yes um, but you don't really get too much of that here and even though i do like and we'll talk about it more in the spoilers the the relationship between madekwe and salter i even i'll admit it's still pretty familiar like it is the falling yeah. into the, i i think it's just it's a lot of it it's Rocky. And I think a lot of it comes down to I liked Medekwe well enough, but I did like Harbor a lot in this, especially when he had to be dramatic. And I think he was trying to not. It's interesting because I know from the interviews I've seen with Harbor, he's actually a big nerd. Like he loves Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. So I think obviously this was like he would be the, the Archie Medekwe. So I think there was a part of him that was trying to maybe not be too much of an asshole, not just because he knew this character had to be redeemed, but because he's like, well, I, you know, I like video games, so I don't want to completely slag on him. But yeah, it's, it's, well, so allegedly Hoosiers was his reference point for some of the okay. insp- inspirational sort of like speech moments between the characters. But more to pick it back to your point, and then we'll just jump into the spoiler section. Um, there are very palpable moments where the film comes to life. And I am like, I am in, I love this. I'm excited. I want to know more. I want to see what happens next. And then it just like goes into that drama drivel. And unfortunately there's too much of the drama drivel and not enough of the excitement. And so it is a skip for me, unfortunately. Um, I will say this, though. It makes me want to play the game. <laughs> you know, kind of. Like, I'll be honest with you. I, I did. I, I haven't gotten around to it, but I was like, I should look through my PS3 collection or even PS2 because I'm sure I have like one or two of these. I kind of want to play them. Uh, but again, yeah. I just like you, I'm not the biggest racing guy. And I'm, uh, if I can't throw like blue shells and put bananas on, you know, the tracks, it sounds fun to me. Yeah, forget that. Um <laughs> All right, so uh, final verdicts for me. Unfortunately, even though I'm a Blumkamp stan, I'm although word is out on demonic. Um, <laughs> it's a skip for me, Justin. Uh, I'm gonna stick with a soft skip. Uh, I think I talked to it a little bit more than you, but yeah, it's definitely not entirely successful and a missed opportunity. All right, if you have not seen Gran Turismo, we are going to spoil the shiz as out of this. In fact, we're going to go right over the finish line with our photo ah. finish and spoil it. In three, two, one, Archie Medequa needs more acting classes. He he failed the romance be- uh, beats. I think he failed the um, you know realization beats as well. Um, I don't know. It, you know, honestly, my only other familiarity with him was I did see the that ridiculous Heart of Stone movie. And when I say ridiculous, what I mean is I loved the shit out of it. <laughs> um, the Netflix Gal Gadot uh, Heart of Stone, if listeners don't know what I'm talking about. Basically, if you've seen Amazon Prime Citadel, it's, it's basically Wonder Woman in Citadel. But uh, he had a very short role in that film. I, I'm not familiar with him. I just didn't think he could do the heavy lifting that Bloom and Harbor did. I loved Harbor in this, even though, again, I don't ascribe to the whole 
you know, I'm going to motivate you by telling you you're pond scum. Like that's not, that's not my thing, mm. but, um, he's fantastic in this. Like I just, mm -hmm. he's probably the best actor in this entire like troupe. Um, I did actually like some of the candidates. They actually stood out, which is interesting because they, they're not on the screen very long. Uh, and also interesting because I didn't think Medequa stood out, but those other boys stood out. Um, and uh, yeah, just, I don't, I don't know. When, so, so when he gets into this accident and somebody gets killed, that's where we get the whole Rocky thing. And I'm like, oh God, this is the dramatic yeah. core of it now. Like he's killed somebody. I don't want to race anymore. And you know, all of that stuff. And oh man, I just started to snooze. I wish I'd brought a blanket with me. It was awful. So I'm going to get back to that accent thing, but I'm going to defend Archie slightly. First off for the romance thing that's not his fault that's i honestly didn't even originally have the actress that plays his love interest because and we didn't even discuss it in the spoiler free section that's how bad that is developed like there's no yeah. reason for it it has it's nothing not. to do outside of we want to have that moment where well two moments one where salter's like hey why don't you go with that girl you're always stalking or talking <sighs> about which which harbor can make that work because he is charming but man did i did not work. like the dia dialogue at all and then two the which doesn't even really get developed the uh well you know i just other people's lives are at stake now as well as my own. But even that doesn't really like, you never feel anything with the, the girl near any of that drama. So it was, I don't even know yeah. why it's here outside of maybe it was true, but like it got bludgeoned. So I'm going to defend him on that. I don't think that was his fault. I don't, you know, I, he didn't have much chemistry with her, but they had what two or three scenes. And so I think it's a very tricky performance because you had mentioned uh, you thought some of the other competitors in the Gran Turismo tournament stood out more than him. Well, I think that's intentional. Obviously, that's where Bloom was coming from, that he is not as charismatic. And I think that's where I do agree to a slight degree that he maybe wasn't the most capable actor for this role because it's a tightrope walk of playing somebody who isn't necessarily charismatic. He is somewhat of a gamer, but making that endearing. But I think why it doesn't work is I actually do see some charisma and charm from him, but it doesn't always complement the actual person that he's playing, Jan Martinborough. But yeah. maybe it's more Harbor doing the heavy lifting, but I actually did like his relationship with those to him. Even if I hated the, of course, you only listen to like, you know, your cassette tape, so I'm going to buy you an iPod. It was a cute moment, but it's oh, such a BS moment Christ. of now I can train you. But I don't know. I, I Man, actually, I yawned and rolled my eyes at the same time. So much so, I almost went into a coma by doing uh, those actions at the same time. <laughs> but I will say, even though it is very rocky, I wished we could have had more of maybe not so much how it was handled in here, but more of what it's like to actually drive this car and other lives being at stake because it does feel too pat here where even when he sees another accident happen while he's driving and you have Salter gun, but you've got to focus and keep driving. Like you don't get enough of that. I think that would have been a unique perspective, but I do agree that it is maybe too pat. I don't know. I kind of got caught up in the bit of like him feeling guilty. Not the great. Some of it is after school special with his acting. I, 
I think, again, I'm going to go to Harbor. I think he handled it a little bit better. But it was a unique perspective that I'm sure we've seen before in these types of movies. But maybe because I haven't seen enough racing movies, I'm like, well, yeah, how would you feel like when you got into an accident, he was going too fast. He went over the hill and he went into a section of the crowd that, again, they kind of gloss over. But it is a spot where I think they warn you that, hey. You know, if you decide to stand here and sit here, I don't even think you legally are supposed to sit there. There's a chance that because the angle you might an accident might occur and you might the debris might hit you. You know, uh, you actually you hear about you hear about these accidents that do happen and they happen with more frequency than just is what re- what is reported. And mm-hmm. I think um, was it Final Destination five? They finally uh, went four, there. Four. With, I think it was the four. OK, was it four? OK, um, but yeah, that's. After I saw that, I'm like, I'm not going to a racing event. But, you know, <laughs> and, and the thing is, is that, like, it's the accident becomes just so heavy handed with, you know. I agree with that. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And then, of course, naturally, why did David Harbour, if he was such a brilliant racing prodigy, quit? And then it comes out, he killed somebody, too. So mm-hmm. it's. I was like, oh my, when you're done jerking us off, let's get back to, you know, Le Mans <laughs> or whatever. What, what's so funny is I agree with you in the scripting aspect. And I, the more we're talking about this, I think my my defense of Medekwe is really faltering because I'm really just coming back to Harbor. He makes that work. And I would even argue Jaiman, when he comes to talk to his son, makes it worse, even though I'm sitting there thinking this is eye roll worthy because this is very familiar territory of – I made an accident and I can't go on. And then, oh, I've always loved you. Well, I've done this for you, Dad. You have capable actors coming alongside Medekwe that make those sequences work because that whole heart-to-heart scene should not work between Harbor and Medekwe. And I know it didn't for you because it is so familiar and honestly kind of forced. Like, oh, I, you know, was a driver, but then I killed someone. I let it get to me. But man, is Harbor so good that I'm like, all right, you're kind of getting me invested in this. And I believe you. I So... Uh, I think you are right. There are parts of that scene that are pretty fantastic. Like, uh, I enjoyed the fact that he was like, you need to finish this race. You need to get back on the road. And he hands him the keys and he makes him drive. I liked that aspect of it, but it's such a hoary, rocky trope underdog. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you think you've had... Um, sadness kid look at me you can do better you can be better and it just was like wow well i will say this i do agree it was heavy-handed and that moment i didn't take it as you thought you had it hard i took it more as like yeah you are having it hard so did i don't make a mistake i did but it's still way too heavy-handed and familiar yeah um yeah i think a lot of so we we keep talking about the fact that this could have been structured better or there could have been a more um i mean i when I left the movie, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, why Why do I want to rewrite this fucking script and make it better, right? Why do I want to do that? And what I was thinking about was when you have a video game, right? I don't play video games, so I don't know. When you play a video game, you have to jump into the story. I don't think, I don't think you get a lot of, like press material where you have to read a backstory, right? You just jump into the video game and you learn. Why couldn't we have done that with this? Why couldn't we have just True. jumped in with the competition and then gone from there So that is a things? big issue with video game adaptations. Also, video games have changed now, too, that while you don't necessarily have, like you said, press kits, you can read up on like backstories like Mortal Kombat characters and that. But now... Ever since cutscenes have become so big, certain games do just feel like cinematic movies. So you have to sit through these cutscenes before you actually get to play it. Mm. 
But to your point, I do think the hardest thing with doing movie adaptations is you lose the immersion. Like every art form is different. It's why anytime you adapt a book to a movie, the book is almost usually better because you're coming from a different format. So what worked well in the book might have to be excised in the movie or doesn't translate well. Just like taking a movie and making a novelization out of it, while it can be fun, these novelizations usually aren't as good because it's a different medium. And in video games, you're losing that immersion when you're basically a passenger watching. There's no real like storyline to like a Gran Turismo racing game. You're right, and this struck- is just a simulator. So. Yeah, and you're very <laughs> you're 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 stuck with you know the simulator, and that's why I think it makes it unique as a video game movie because it's not technically it's about a video game, but it's about a real life incident that came out of it. But like I said earlier in the spoiler free, yeah, you're sidestepping any of these issues you might have had with a video game adaptation, but you're just falling into your underdog tropes. Like yeah. you're not you're you're only unique within the video game genre of movies, not unique within the sports world. And, and honestly, go to Bloom. Like I do like Orlando Bloom and I think he's fine in this, but I think he's wasted. I don't think he, it's, it's interesting. He is getting top billing because I get Harbor getting it. Cause he is still kind of a name right now, but Bloom, we had talked off air. His star has like, as far as a superstar is gone, has kind of like faltered a bit ever since like Lord of the Rings and pirates. And it's nice to see that Orlando Bloom, you know, get second billing. And, you know, I think maybe that has more just to do with name recognition than what you were maybe hinting at with uh, quality of performances. But I don't really feel like he gets used all that much here. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, he kind of get, they, they introduce the fact that he is more business oriented and obviously is pulling more for some of the other competitors instead of Yom because they're more charismatic. And then the final races, you kind of still get him like more worried about his company's prestige and winning this race than he is with, you know, Yom's safety. But at the same time, they know they have to do the about face and still make him nice. So he's not a complete asshole. And he kind of sometimes is feeling for Yon. So he's just, he's really weirdly developed because sometimes he's almost positioned as the enemy, but then he's yeah. not. And I think you could have a nuanced bit where, where I think maybe Blomkamp wanted where he's not the enemy, but he has this business mindset or maybe he's being pushed by you know the business entity uh and that's where his issues with uh more or less salter come into but again they don't it's so they don't develop that and then no and then strangely he's like don't do it don't do it um stick to the techniques and then he wins and he's like yes you're the best ever and i'm like what i hate you (laughs) yeah it's just it's it's too tropey in this aspect. And it's a shame because the race at the end is great. Like I, yeah, I guess I put it up there with Ford versus Ferrari, another movie where I had issue with some of the drama, even though maybe it was a bit better handled than this, but, but the racing, maybe it's a little step below Ford versus Ferrari's racing. Cause that film really handled racing tremendously. Oh yeah. But this one, it's still, it's very unique. It did kind of make me want to play the game. And honestly, it felt more, like you said, flashback oriented, it felt more in tune with how the movie was progressing. Because in the beginning, I was just like, all right, you're just trying to sell me a game and this is awkward. But later on, I'm like, this is how you actually sell a game because you make it seem more like, okay, this is kind of what you can get from the game. But everything with Kappa fell flat. I hated that. Oh my God. Even though that guy is gorgeous. He's Polish and Dutch, by the way. He's, you know, he was in a gay movie called Just Friends. He makes out with a guy. It's pretty Ah, So not the one with Ryan Reynolds, though. Not that one, no. (laughs) I actually um, like that one. (laughs) But yeah, the whole Kappa thing is lame. And especially, you know, we talked about Blue Beetle about how you know, characters suddenly do this weirdly unmotivated about face. And um, Harbor does this weird about face in the beginning of the film where he's like, 
okay, you're an entitled asshole. And he walks out on the dinner is like, I'm hired or whatever. And it's like, mm. what? Of course yeah, it, you're it, hired. Because yeah, it, it felt more like, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying I should have included this in the movie, but since like we felt like we needed to see more scenes of him not liking Kappa where yeah. again, like you said, if you were to structure this where it was flashbacks and then maybe when Kappa's being an asshole, you're like, Oh, well, I think the half of the reason he's being an asshole is me. I think maybe I would have accepted that stuff more, but yeah, that part was just kind of like, eh. and yeah. again, I really, I, I think I'm, I got a heap so much praise on Harbor because I think the more we talk about this, the more I don't like the scripting and direction of some of those sequences with him, but he is so good that I was forgiving and was just, cause everything, like you said, with him being like an army sergeant, basically his about face really shouldn't work, but there is something about Harbor's performance where even when he's being somewhat of a, an asshole, you can kind of tell like, okay, I can see why he's taking to yawn. I can see why all of this and I think that just goes to Harbor's sincerity. And honestly, that's what he brought to Santa Claus because his version of Santa Claus and Violet Knight's kind of an asshole. Yeah. But his redemption works because, like, even though Harbor can play an asshole, you know, deep down, this is just such a sweet human being, like a lovable teddy bear you want to hug. Yeah. So he can make these awkward about faces, not awkward because I'm like, yeah, I believe that you're just a nice guy because you seem like it. I will watch David Harbour in anything, and he's he's one of the best things about this film. But uh, one more point about how the scripting is just god-awful is, in the beginning, since we're in the spoiler section, instead of resting like he should, he goes out with his brother, and then there's this thing where, you know, they're, they want to race somebody, and they're passing beers between cars, and then there's this little tiny accident thing, and then the police pull them over, and then he, of course, he drives away, and he, you know, it's supposed to show that potentially he could be this, you know, risky driver driving away from the police, but then that's it. That's the only reason why that scene is in the movie. It didn't be, I thought it was going to be something like, well, either you're going to go to jail or you're going to go to this competition or whatever. And he decides to go to the competition, but there was none yeah. of that. And it was like a useless scene, a completely and, useless scene. And this is where, since I didn't do the research, maybe that happened. But my first thought was, wouldn't the officer have had both of their plate numbers before getting out of the car? Maybe it's done Ding differently in the UK, dong. but when you get pulled over, they don't immediately walk over to you. They usually take a little while because they're pulling up the information on the vehicles. So exactly. there's no way they wouldn't have still just tracked the kid down. Like what? Uh, well, remember, they also stopped the other car first, but don't don't they have like CCTV cameras everywhere? Like I know yeah. London is like that, but like Wales as well. Like yeah. isn't he in Wales? Yeah. yeah, he's in Cardiff, Wales, which is a big, a, a big city. Yeah. So anyway, that was just yeah. pointless. And I, I feel like this could have been this could have actually been a great movie because there there's mm -hmm. there's stuff in here that really, really does work, Rocky wise. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, it was just I don't know. I don't know. I feel like Blomkamp at all just maybe they just got their they got their head filled with this being some sort of grand biopic thing. And I yeah. think that was just the wrong direction for it. Yeah. Well, it was a grand, not a grand. I will also say this, the gentleman that plays the younger brother looks more like Martin Burrow than Medecky <laughs> yes. does. Though I will was say like, what? Though I will say when I've seen interviews or just clips of like Medecky and Martin Burrow together, I could still see why they chose Archie because he does have yeah. somewhat of a resemblance, but, but yeah, you are right. I mean, which I mean also means why they probably chose Pugue as the brother because he also somewhat looks like Medekwe then. Yeah. But yeah, I think 
I think this comes down to structure, and I think we're trying not to be low in that criticism, but in this case, I feel like it's deserved because we're looking at it more of, well, what aspects worked the best, even if maybe we, we differ on how they worked. Um, and it's just those, cause I'll, honestly the competition, like there's, there had it been so much more intricacies to this. Like I get, I've no doubt. I understand why a, a company and a business would want to do this. And I understand why, which by the way, I mentioned Takahiro portraying Yamushi, but Yamushi is like a cameo in this. Like there's no reason for that yeah. performance to even be in this movie. Yeah. Outside of like, hey, he created the game, so we need to have the him as a character in this movie. I can understand why he would want this to kind of prove his simulator, but there had to be more legalese coming into like, yeah, you are strapping people who just play the game who have not, you know, typically raced into this competition. And I believe some of them, because they had mentioned, uh, because the whole thing comes down to, well, if they win the the pre, that gives this them all prestige. So, of course, they bring in some of the two of the other candidates from GT, the tournament, and they say, hey, they've been racing on the lower circuit. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the people that were great Gran Turismo players were also learning how to be race, race car drivers in real life, going about it a way that Medecque or, sorry, uh, Martinborough probably should have, because that that's normal. Like, I know to, to throw in wrestling, WB has done Tough Enough, where that was a competition reality go show where they brought in people who wanted to be a pro wrestler and they trained them. And especially in the early seasons, MTV especially wanted people who had no wrestling experience or very little. So that made for more drama. But as yeah. some of the more recent ones, yeah, you had some of those, but most of the wrestlers were starting out as indie wrestlers. And the reason some of the actual indie wrestlers that, you know, audition got turned down, I guarantee you behind the scenes were like, well, you probably already have enough experience under your belt. So it's going to look weird when you can handle all this stuff pretty easily. So I would yeah. not be surprised, but like, we don't get any of that. Like, where is the intricacies of like, I'm not saying I need a big legal drama, but there had to be some concern over putting actual people who can't handle this into like, it's, I don't know. It, I feel like there's missed opportunities here with the, well, drama they didn't, that they didn't connect up that when the person died, that, that, that was probably the motivating force for why Medecoy was so, you know, yeah. turned out, you know, but you're right. Harbor, the, uh, the Nissan, uh, executives, nobody addresses it. It's just a couple lines, like make it safe. And then wa he mm -hmm. walks away or whatever. So, and you know what, maybe yeah. that's why I didn't, I didn't hate so much his like sergeant attitude because yeah, I agree. That's not the best way to motivate people. Yes. Some people need that tough love, but usually that shouldn't be the first thing you go to. Uh, you should learn about the person. But in this case, I can kind of see where he's coming from. Cause you know, I'm just like, well, yeah, there's a difference between playing a game or a simulation and getting into an actual car and going fast. Like I know you can like do a ride along with race car drivers. Honestly, the reason I wouldn't do it isn't as much the fear of what happens if we crash, even though that could be a possibility, because usually you're not doing it in the race. You're just doing it as a thing. It's just like, I don't know if I want to be in a car going that fast. Like, I'm going to probably yeah. get sick. Yeah. I rode on a friend's motorcycle. And um, you know that that weird stomach feeling you get right before the first drop on a roller coaster? It was like mm -hmm. that for 20 minutes. Ooh. So I was like, I cannot do this. I cannot yeah. do this. But. And I love roller coasters, but part of their fun is it's very quick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, I don't know. any Anything else to no. discuss? I mean, I just... It's, it's such a disappointment. Yeah, it you is. Know? And you don't... It's sad. Yeah, I don't really... Cause there's so many aspects of this, like we said, with the love interest and that, that just don't go anywhere. And I, I really feel like the, the parent stuff should have had more. And this is where, that's why I wanted to double back. 
So the end credits, as they always do in these biopics, they'll show like the real photos next to like yeah. the, the moments in that. And you see his parents there, but they were at what it appears to be him winning the Gran Turismo tournament, which in the movie, his dad doesn't appear until like the Grand Prix. And, right. you know, cause he's ignoring his dad, which comes down to just have a conversation. Like at this point, there's no reason the dad couldn't have, I know they were trying to call. It's, I don't know. It just felt that it felt too heavy handed, but in the, so I could believe that maybe the dad had issues, but it's clear from those photos, unless I was looking at them wrong, that he was fine with this after the Gran Turismo tournament. Like, and I guarantee yeah. you in real life, the dad was probably maybe not a hard ass, but a realist as a parent is going to be of like, you should have like a backup plan, which if you're going to be an athlete, you should always have a backup plan anyway. That's why you usually have to go uh, to college on scholarships yes. because you aren't going to be able to do this for life. You need to have the out. So that's yeah. why a lot of times you go into business because then you can convey that into the business side of, you know, being an analyst or whatever sports. That's not a, I know I was young. I get it. I didn't like that too. I wanted to be a, a director in that and I didn't care how to do it. I was just going to do it. And then eventually reality hits you. So now I'm in that spot of like, there's not a bad thing with going to school and like trying to do, you know, take something that could modernize. But again, that's all yeah, it's too when handed. It doesn't work in the movie. First of all, his his father also looked lighter than Jaiman Hansu. I'm just making that observation yeah. because I was like, "Ooh." Anyway, but when Jaiman Hansu was saying, you know, you know, uh, racing cars or playing video games is 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 not a sustainable career or whatever, like I totally got flashbacks to like, yeah, I guess I can't be a stunt person. So yeah, I <laughs> yeah. you know I felt the exact same yeah. thing or whatever, but. I, yeah, I will say this, just, though. I, I know why it's in here, and maybe it's just me definitely getting older, and I know that wasn't the purpose, but I always hate whenever they show, like, construction jobs, like, really good p jobs. Like, they obviously have a nice home as being dead end, and I know it's not meant to be. It's supposed to just be a wake-up call to the kid of, like, if you don't sort something out, you're going to have to end up like this. But there's also part of me that's like, I wonder if that sometimes gives this stigma around this stuff because that's not a bad position to be in where um, he's at. I felt the exact same thing and so did Bloomkamp because he focuses in close on the other workers looking at them and it's like, you know what? That is their lifestyle. Like, how yeah. dare you say you'll end up here because those other people are doing it and that's their life and I that also left a very yeah, bad taste in that, my that, mouth and that was just he, the beginning of the film also <laughs> can, did he get his son a job or is, can he just break because that's you're in a construction type area working on trains they just you, showed up <laughs> you can't just show up there's like OSHA illegal issue. like no you can't just well he do had that. a safety hat on he had oh, a safety yeah, hat on but... say, that's, that's all you need is a safety hat you know? <laughs> sorry yeah it was I, super I know, weird I was like um is that the dad's job? Like, why are they there? Like, it yeah. just poor writing, poor writing. Yeah, very, very poor writing. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. unfortunately, it's a. Although I will say, Ginger Spice did handle her emotional scene very well, mm -hmm. but it also made me think as I was leaving, leaving the, leaving the theater. I thought to myself, like, um, uh imitating her of course crying when the accident happens gran turismo ate my baby <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. we need a we need a spice world sequel to come uh yes. race car drivers uh, <laughs> yes uh yeah. so unfortunately for me it's it's still a skip and it's it, a, it's a huge disappointment given the pedigree and you know what the more we talk about this i'm getting rid of the soft it's just a skip uh, yeah. I, the more i think about this and i've had a week to think about it the elements i like of it are still pretty pat 
And I think a lot of the, a lot of my enjoyment apparently just came from David Harbour. The more I reflect on this, I'm yeah. struggling to defend Madekwe as much. I think maybe, but you know what? I didn't come out of this thinking he was good or anything. I just thought he did a fine job. So Harbour's the, the reason role to acted see him. <laughs> Harbour is the re- I, I see where you're coming from on that. So Harbour is the reason to see this for the drama and the races. And it's a shame because I almost want people to still go see this in the theater because the racing is handled so well. But I also don't think it's worth a theater trip, especially right now. But there's so much other better options going. You know. Yeah. Well, that's seen- why that's why when I left, I was like, this would be a perfect streaming movie. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen like Barbie or Oppenheimer yet, or and I know you're going to disagree with me on this, but if Demeter is still playing in your theater, check those out instead. Maybe even check out Blue Beetle, I think, is a better overall experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh that, yes. Blue Beetle is a better example of taking pat familiar material and making it feel maybe not so much fresh, but lively. This yeah. just it missed the mark. It's a skip. Yeah. I um I will say this, though. I will watch a racing movie with talking dogs as the drivers. I think that's the next, the next enterprise. Let's well, do that. That's, that's the Air Bud movie. One of these, uh, no, it's never Strays had a... 2, Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo, yeah. <laughs> well, you don't go see Stray. Well, only see Strays if you like Will Ferrell and you thought the trailers were funny. If you don't like others too, you're not going to like it. But if you like me and you like Will Ferrell and you thought all the trailers were funny, it's pretty fucking hysterical. Yeah. Uh, okay, so if you thought we got dr- Gran Turismo wrong, you can drive on down to our social media accounts. Mm. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can certainly DM us. Uh, send us an email at watchskipplus, spell out all the words, at gmail.com. You can even record a clip. Don't do not do the Spotify anchor thing. It's just, it's rife with... Gran Turismo problems. <laughs> um, you can record an audio clip and simply send it to us. We'll certainly uh, address it on the air, maybe even play it out as well. Please don't forget, wherever you're listening to us, review us. We hope it's a five-star review. That's how word about our humble little podcast gets out. If you love us, you will certainly love our Pod Fathers, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema and Not a Bomb podcast. I recently guested on the Not a Bomb Breaking Brad series, where we torture co-host Brad with the awfulest, not an adjective, but the awfulest movies ever in the world in the aim of, quote-unquote, breaking him. And uh, we have one coming up on Dracula 3D, which was directed by legendary filmmaker Dario Argento. Uh, that was a point of contention, by the way, that he's legendary if it includes if his filmography includes this film. But um, <laughs> also, you will love out the original OGs, the Night of the Living podcast, who loved. Last Voyage of the Demeter, however, I did not feel the same way. Uh, You would also love Wild Dream Podcast, Daniel and David, we love them. Death by DVD, Raiders of the Podcast with Kevin, Backlook Cinema Podcast with Zoe, VHS Files, Silva and Gold, Cult of Muscle, Feminine Critique, and Married with Clickers. Red. Well, we hope we don't miss the mark like Gran Turismo did. You always listen, you never skip, and you remember that you are the plus. Vroom, vroom, baby. Vroom, vroom. vroom. <gasps> I think I'd rather watch Super Mario Brothers again than see this yeah. again. Yeah, but. Super Mario Brothers was fun. Also, there was yes. only like 80 minutes. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, this film could have benefited from being 80 minutes. So, yeah. yeah but. Hey, you want to watch some TV or something? Skip it. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. 
I'm disgusted and repulsed and and I can't look away. I need these things! I need these things! No way, no way, Jose. This just in, go to hell! This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Stop it! 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 Stop it!